back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike in a moment, having that martini shaken, not stirred, as for, like, I don't know, the eighth time we seem to be on the edge, on the precipice of finally seeing No Time to Die, as it will finally come to American theaters until it inevitably gets delayed one more time again for another 18 years and we have to drag (laughs) out this series even longer. But this is the James Bond character study, kind of, a No Time to Die episode, Michael. Yeah, we had a lot of fun doing this kind of episode for Halloween Kills, which is Mm. uh, coming out in in a week or so, and uh, we wanted to do it with James Bond as well. We've done it for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, our Tarantino series, etc., etc. It is the... The, the, a way for us to kind of get you ready, to get ourselves ready. Yeah. And I want to thank uh, David Long, who's going to be our guest on our review episode of No Time to Die, for his non-spoiler review, which basically prepped this prep episode. Because uh, <laughs> the Is It Worth It film podcast, uh, Craig Fields and David Long, they just released their non-spoiler review because this film has been released in Great Britain earlier than it's been released here. So we are still... You know, we're still, we haven't seen the film yet. Uh, We're speculating. It's going to be rash speculation in some cases. And otherwise, we, uh, yeah, we cannot wait to see this. We're going to review it with David. And then we're going to kind of cover the fallout with another guest, Mike, who I'm going to be recording with while you're away, but who we are going to see the movie together uh, with next week. Yeah, uh, Andrew of the Nomcast, our good buddy. Uh, it's been a little bit since we've uh, collaborated and had him back on. So uh, looking forward to doing that. Looking forward to taking this in. Looking forward to talking to David. Just looking forward to all things Bond until th- the next week when it will be all things Michael Myers. But uh, those that's, right. that's going to be pretty much the first half of October uh, for We Mikes here. If you've not joined us before for a Bond character study episode, uh, we have a lot of fun segments that we like to talk about and kind of break down. We're going to predict the box office. We're going to predict what may come next for James Bond, but we're going to start with a getting into character or a production profile as to how we kind of got here on the eve of No Time to Die. And and do go back and listen to our Craig series, whether it's before or after No Time to Die, because that's, that's the best work we did with the James Bond character study. Those... Yeah four films <laughs> well, they're the best another. movies by far yeah oh they were awesome and <laughs> yeah even the bad ones were good even with right. like quantum of solace that everybody gets on we had a blast with that right. i just re-listened to our specter episode we were in tip-top form uh double o's uh in our own right i would say Spectre's, i'm so tired of the crap that specter gets from everyone talking about the bond series specter's underrated and i won't hear any different Oh, we loved it. We we absolutely loved it. Now, one of our uh, more fun reviews, uh, Pope Nacho, that whole bit. It, it, <laughs> it was it was it was awesome. So go back and hear how Daniel Craig was out every time he I, he was the quintessential uh, you know Broadway actress diva <laughs> mm-hmm. before every one of these movies. Oh, I'm done. I broke my arm last time. I broke my leg. I broke my you know this guy's gotten more you know Tom Cruise level injuries uh, filming. This I broke James Batista's Monster. nose, and I'm scared for my own life now yeah yeah he's uh he's been uh he's been getting beat up uh he started it at 38 so i get it i'm the same age so i can't imagine trying to get in shape and basically run around europe as james bond right now i would get beat up as well so after specter michael daniel craig was out 
This was like mm. 2015, 2016. Uh, and for years, he was making emphatic statements. I won't relive them all now, but he was very publicly out. He turned down $100 million to do two more films. That was a big report back when there were Crazy. rumors that he was offered $150 million uh, uh, over the top of that. And things subsided and maybe they gave him some space then there started to get kind of the rumor mill again where they were negotiating and maybe he recovered maybe he was like michael jordan maybe he just needed a rest right we mm. just saw that with the last dance he needed a rest and finally kind of out of nowhere after the rumor mill went wild he goes on the colbert show in 2019 and said yes he will make one final turn as james bond for what will become no time to die you think Tom Cruise looks at Daniel Craig's history as Bond and just calls him a coward? <laughs> well, Tom Cruise, yeah. there, there's, uh, there are uh, roles, and then there's a lifestyle. Right? <laughs> it's true. It's the fair there are act, There's acting, and then there's living, and Tom Cruise is just, wow, what a nut he still is. Mm -hmm. uh, Danny Boyle was the director originally attached for No Time to Die, but... He very famously left the project in 2018 after citing creative differences. Mm -hmm. It seemed like the Broccoli's had uh, a successor in mind, though. Uh, a month later, they secured Kerry Joji Fukunaga, and he is, of course, uh, our director who's got a special place in our hearts, Mike, because he was in charge of every episode of True Detective Season 1. And that great tracking shot that's gone down in like television history. Oh my god! In right. one of those episodes, uh, but he also directed *Beasts of No Nations*. Jane uh, or No Nation, Jane Eyre. I'm turning into our parents, right? *Beast of <laughs> Beast, uh, Beast of No Nations*. *Sinombre*, uh, Jane Eyre, *Beast of No Nations*. Uh, his other high-profile films. There, screenwriters for the seventh film in a row in this Bond franchise, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, they basically are the first drafters of this series. They are the guys who are, they're like the guys in the van, like for superheroes, right? They're the they guys should in the be. Van. I mean, they've earned it to, at this point, certainly, and I'm, no Bond has had more box office success than Craig, and he, these guys have been kind of driving his turn in the tuxedo, so I think they've more than earned that right. Yeah, since the world is not enough, all the way through now to No Time to Die. We'll see if they go a different direction going further. But they always do the first draft, and then, you know, the Broccoli's, and, and they, they get other screenwriters in mm -hmm. here to, to, you know, help rewrite from there. In this case, we had Paul Haggis, who wrote C Casino Royale, who famously wrote and directed and won Oscars for Crash yep. uh, back in the day. He took a shot at the script. I don't know how much they took from that, but he's not credited. Scott Z. Burns of The Bourne Ultimatum, of a lot of the Steven Soderbergh films, including Contagion, etc. He was brought in, but again, you know, I don't, again, how much did they keep? How much did they not? He's not credited, Scott Z. Burns. So Daniel Craig actually pushed. Once he was back in the door, Daniel Craig pushed for then probably the hottest name in the business, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, to be a guest writer on this she's coming off her success and her three emmys from fleabag yeah. from her nominations for killing eve she's the uh you know the actress who pl played perhaps one of the most famous droid voices voice acting roles in star wars uh of this new generation with l337 maybe since the uh 
the droids we were all looking for back in the original trilogy. And uh, apparently she's stealing as an actress. She's stealing the next Indiana Jones movie, which I can't wait to see. But throughout this promotional run, throughout the premieres, Daniel Craig, everybody's just been crediting Phoebe Waller-Bridge for for what she did to this script and, and being able to get it back on track. I mean, talk about a star on the rise in a lot of ways. In front of camera, behind camera, she also was had signed on to do that Mr. and Mrs. Smith TV show, miniseries, whatever, reboot with Don Glover. She has since stepped away from it. But yeah, she went from this little-known stage play in Britain to like a power broker in Hollywood. And, and eleven figure? No, wait. What's what's like seven? Didn't she get like fifty million from Amazon to do something? It uh, sounds deal. right. I don't know it off the top of my head, but since we're doing this all in the vein of our parents, then yes, let's just say that's fact. <laughs> She's making big, making the big bucks for for certain. Uh, otherwise, there are some standout crew people involved with No Time to Die. We have cinematographer, Oscar-winning cinematographer from La La Land, and of course, one of our favorite cinematographers uh, from First Man, American Hustle, Linus yeah. Sandgren. Uh, we have the original score composed by Hans Zimmer, who, of course, needs no explanation to his I've resume. I've heard of him, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we've all been humming this theme song since we reviewed it, like, it feels like a decade ago, from Billie Eilish, who's who went through all her formative years now since this movie was... <laughs> For <laughs> real. She's a high like, this, kid. This now movie has really, really taken a lot of... People at the right time, like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, superstar. Billie Eilish, super duper star. And it's it's just it's a lot of the right things and the right times culminating in like this perfect project. Billie Eilish, by the way, I'm a huge fan of hers anyway. But she just performed uh, No Time to Die at a couple live shows. She did. She did most no- notably Govball in New York City. I, she absolutely crushed it. I can't wait to see it on the big screen. I can't wait, and I can't avoid listening to movie songs before the movies i know some people like to keep themselves pure and not do it but this was out there for two years and i love bond theme songs and i've been listening to this on a few playlists over and over again for two years so the only way that Billie Eilish's No Time to Die does not get nominated for original song is if the entire Academy is sick of it more than me, right? Because this has got to be there. This is probably, if you had to make one surefire bet, like maybe before the season even started, what's a uh, uh, an Oscar nomination that will happen? You had to bet your life. That would probably be where I put my money. Uh, oh, and she's a favorite of Academy's. I mean, she's killed Grammys. She upset Megan Thee Stallion at, the, at last year's uh, Grammy Awards show, and everyone thought... The song with Cardi B and, and Savage was going to get uh, record of the year. I think Billie Eilish ended up stealing it. Uh, and she famously swept the Grammys the year prior to that right. as well. So, and so she's going to be, I think, 20 years old and probably an Emmy and Oscar winner on her way to what he got. <laughs> Absolutely. So the next episode we do in the Spawn character study is also an Oscar sprint profile. There's no ambiguity to that either. Yeah. I mean, she is going to be someone factored in there. And she was at the last... Uh, Academy Award or two Academy Awards ago where she had the green hair and she sang Mm -hmm. the uh, In Memoriam, which was gorgeous. And she was a a huge viral star coming out of that event. So she's going to be involved here. I'm sure the Academy can't wait to nominate her. But yeah, this Bond movie was shot like uh, uh, globe trotting, uh, the same way the all the other movies have been shot. This one in Italy, in Jamaica, in Norway, and then of course uh, all over the United Kingdom, in particular London, Michael, and islands off the coast of London. There, uh, we have the United Kingdom's Ministry of Defense involved in this 
Uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? Because Get him in we there. have like aircraft carriers and real military ops, and apparently, yeah, it's all real. Get a proper send off for Craig. That makes sense to me. Uh, but most importantly, though, there's not one, but four makes and models of the Aston Martin featured in this movie. So be on the lookout when we sit down in those theaters, movie theater seats for four different Aston Martins, Michael. You know how celebrities always take like little trinkets from set when they're done with a movie? I wonder if Craig has ever just taken a full-ass car from his work in if Bond. He, yeah, if he doesn't own an Aston Martin, right. what's why even do it? Like you have... <laughs> Aston Martins and and watches are things that he should have in excess right now at his disposal. (laughs) Absolutely. But look, we've been covering this uh, schedule forever, right? Like all the moves since COVID started, we've been covering this. It it changed our character study series where we kind of elongated it and did it monthly throughout last year. So it really is a joy now to kind of be finally coming to the end of this odyssey where we do the prepisode, where we do the episode. Maybe we'll do the award show uh, later in the month after things uh, slow down, if they ever will. Anyway, we promise you an (laughs) award show eventually. But uh, this is finally a time where we can talk about the first reactions and talk about the uh, the box office projections in the next two segments here, Mike, because I didn't, we didn't know when it would come. We didn't know if this movie would get pushed again. Uh, yeah, I'm still year. not convinced we're absolutely getting it on the 6th, uh, so we'll, we'll remain to be seen as we record this on the 1st. But uh, let's talk about how No Time to Die has been received and what critics are saying with their first takes as well as of... Thursday night, it's carrying an 82% on 140 reviews on Rotten Tomato. It has a 71 Metascore from 125 critics. And the audience score on IMDb sits at an 8 out of 10, which is incredibly high, on over 6,000 votes already. So, positive, right? Positivity, for the most part, from film Twitter at large, which was... I was in line for the New York Film Festival and I'm reading Bond reviews one after another that are hitting, hitting, hitting uh, on my train ride home that night. So most of the people in our space seem to love it. Some of the kind of, let's just say, old guard of the (laughs) critics, though, not so much. I've seen a lot of critics not be enthralled with it this does seem i don't know if we want to use divisive because it's not a film festival movie but (laughs) more polarizing than i expected it to be it hasn't been the overly fawning love fest which i think might keep it from being a player in major oscar categories maybe it is just a player like you know the best bond ever i think was only nominated i think what three times or something like that i I don't remember well yeah sky was skyfall a five time i think it was five i can't again we probably should have Probably should have jotted should all have this down. Up but we we do have ten here. episodes to, you guys to go back to for all the truth. But uh, let's see what critics have been saying, and, and we'll do some of the negative first. Uh, here's a quote: "What follows those bursts of typically Bondian Elon E L A N? More on that in a minute." is ponderously weighted and thinly plotted. Leave this somber serialization to other franchises and let 007 get back to business, which should ideally be a pleasure. That's from Richard Lawson of Vanity Fair. All right, Richard Lawson of Vanity Fair. (laughs) I got a bone to pick with you because clearly you didn't listen to our character study because a serialized story was the entire goal of this Daniel Craig Bond series because they just... They just reassumed the rights to the first bunch of novels that they wanted to showcase for these Bond movies. Uh, and they wanted 
uh, this Daniel Craig Bond series to be more serious and yes, perhaps somewhat somber because the last iteration of the character had satellite-controlled tsunamis and ice palaces. I have no idea what the CEO of Tesla has to do with this movie. <laughs> right? That's what I, immediately what I thought. But no, Elon apparently means impetuous ardor, which, of course, I had to look up as well because I couldn't remember those. Just the dictionary.com rabbit hole here. The rabbit hole of just, yeah, this uh, conga line of word uh, words to look up. Impulsive passion, fervor. Uh, that Elon essentially means... That uh, and this amounts to the why so serious Heath Ledger Joker gif mm. at the end of the day. So what's typically Bondian Alan is something that will come back later in this episode. But let's just have Richard Lawson lay the foundation that he doesn't think the Bondian Alan is up to par. Let me say this for that review by Richard Lawson. I, I don't know how it reads as a critic, but I think it reads great as like hip hop bars. That's if true. you were to like do this to a beat, I'd be very impressed. I, he uh, he really should try, and we, we will uh, showcase uh, all his work, all his bars on this program, no doubt. This is from Sam Adams of Slate. Quote, by the end, the movie itself feels worn out, uncertain what it is we're all doing here. So these are harsh accusations, Michael. Yeah. I mean, basically some critics are saying, like, this is not a good movie because it's not a typical Bond movie, and it's overlong, as this next critic will say. A.O. Scott from the New York Times says, if No Time to Die were 90 minutes long, it might be worth yours. That worries me about downtime. Is, is it, are they implying there's going to be a lot of down? Am I going to get bored by the Daniel Craig send-off Bond movie? Well, according to our friends, that is it worth it, that they come down on this very clearly. So go listen to their show if you're worried about being bored out there, folks. Probably the criticism I'm most worried about, Michael, because this has been a hill like you've been yawning on and... And uh, talking about throughout, like, just don't bore you. Yeah. And two hours and 43 minutes is going to be the runtime of No Time to Die Here. And we've seen in recent history sequels that all of us are excited for and how could they possibly screw it up, get these super long runtimes and have too much downtime. It Chapter 2, when you say two hours and 40-something minutes, It Chapter 2 springs to my mind, and there was too much downtime in that movie for me. They can get indulgent, especially these... I mean, look at bonds in the past have bored us. Yeah, as much absolutely. as we've loved some, some have been way overlong and superfluous mm-hmm. in its plotting, which which makes this next uh, critic, uh, you know, what what do you call these quotes when you a poll quote? Which makes this next poll quote, Mike, a little outlandish to me. One might even call it Elon. Uh, they wouldn't. That's <laughs> no, the, that's I mean, not the right I, use of that word. Maybe, uh, <laughs> I guess perhaps I already forgot the definition. <laughs> Philip DeSemelon from Time Out, by whatever metrics you measure a Bond movie, tight plotting, gnarly villains, emotional sincerity, Craig's final outing is a rip-roaring success. Okay. Two out of the three of those I have qualms with. (laughs) Emotional sincerity. Did you watch the 24 other movies? Uh, Look, this is a recent development with Mr. Craig, by the way, but tight plotting. What are you talking about tight plotting? You measure Bond movies by tight plotting. Goldfinger created a million-dollar room (laughs) of models and maps so he can explain his evil plan to a bunch of world leaders that he would first kill. Correct. Before before even enacting the evil plan, he would kill these group that he just pitched the whole plan to. So it was totally extemporaneous, superfluous, excessive, old-ass underwear levels of loose 
plotting. That is why we love the James Bond series, Mr. Philip de Simillion. I mean, this is nonsense. There are multiple scuba battles in old Bonds when there could have been none. There are a whole realm of wonderful gratuities and excesses that amount to hilariously high body counts, couplings, and most of all, action sequences. What fucking other 24 Bond movies are you watching? (laughs) If Bond movies were the seven deadly sins, they'd be gluttony. Well, probably the other six Deadly Sins as well, but gluttony because they're so <laughs> overstuffed. So this guy, I don't know who he is. He's so ridiculous in this review, which is, again, why I can't read these fucking pontificating reviews from people who just, what? They're just t- so oversaturated in their own uh, vocabularies that they can't pick the right words for a whole franchise of movies that it's impossible to misconstrue. I don't know what he's doing. I just want to recap what happened here for a second. Um, <laughs> we, we have done a year plus series in which we have tried to heap praise onto this franchise and this IP. This poor guy, Philip the Semelin, comes along, <laughs> tries paying it a compliment, <laughs> and you lose your mind and go off the deep end. <laughs> He's he's got his head up his ass. I'm gonna be Bill Murray's kid in Rushmore, which I just re- rewatched. Get your head out of your ass, Dad. And I don't even know the guy. I don't even read his other reviews. But his head's up his fucking ass here. It's ridiculous. I hope this crescendos. What if it just took everything? Like there's an ice palace on the moon that you have to get through through a oh, school you want fight. This, yeah, you want this outrage to blow up in my face. Is no, I saying. just want the crescendo of the bond to be all the lunacy. All the lunacy. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't we love that? We just yes. we just loved it in F9. Yes, didn't we? Absolutely. We loved it with Garrick, one of our favorite episodes ever, yes. uh, where we just had a ball because that's what we were expecting with the Fast Saga, <laughs> and that's what we are, in fact, uh, expecting with a two-hour and 43-minute Bond send-off. We don't want it to be tightly plotted. Yeah, I, I think there's there's something to that. Although, if it is, I mean, I think that'd be... Something different. <laughs> yeah, maybe Phil, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge uh, came in and, yeah, maybe it all makes sense right. and it all pieces together perfectly. But you're and absolutely that's right. Great. Part of the charm of watching these is the absurd plot holes. <laughs> right, but you can't say, by whatever metrics you right, right. talk about a Bond movie, the right. tight blots. Right. Fuck off. <laughs> the man with the golden gun built a, a playhouse in his mansion. <laughs> We want to have male fantasies for two hours and 40 minutes. That's why we pay a ticket for Bond. That's the whole, the whole time. It's, it's a generation. There are multiple generations of guys buying tickets to Jane Bond so we can have these fantasies and indulge ourselves in these fantasies. More, End of story. More compliments coming from more critics here, so prepare yourself. Joe Morgenstern from the Wall Street Journal. The new installment is exciting for its energy and scale despite its flaws and derivative themes and makes a lovely valediction valediction what is with these words we get it critics you're mostly english majors a religious approval or is that a valediction is that like a a eulogy religious i don't know either again another word we how many times in one episode can i make the old old wooden ship joke but uh that's that all right the lovely valediction for its star (laughs) this is from the wall street journal and right i i again i'm i'm really up a creek with these critics here because I don't understand. Some of them want Bondian themes. Some of them do not. So he's saying that we have derivative themes here. 
if they're derivative Bond themes, the, the other guys were making fun of the, the this movie because it didn't have right. the old school Bond stuff, and now this guy's like, well, it has the old school Bond stuff. So what are they saying? Who, can you guys get on the same page? Nobody, I mean, the, nobody watched this movie sober. Is what I'm starting to gain from this. Maybe, maybe, but if by derivative Bond themes you mean he's got to kill enough bad guys so they can't blow up the world, then again, I have 24 other movies you should watch. <laughs> Very Nemiroff off YouTube, an exhilarating and thoughtful send-off for Daniel Craig. Now how about an Anna de Armas spin-off? Finally, I agree with something written by one of these critics today, so I had to, you know, had to put one of those in there too, because <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Perry. Uh, the final one here, Stephanie Zacharek from Time Magazine. With his fifth movie as 007, Craig is so extraordinary. He leaves only scorched earth behind. Now we're talking. There will be other bonds for those who want them. For everyone else, there's Craig. Only scorched earth left behind. Sounds about right. Uh, I this, That's I where we've been trending this. with this character, too. Yeah, this is just refuting the first critique we read where he said there was not enough Bondi and Elan, but this is proving there's enough Bondi and Elan after all. Two things we don't deal with here are compliments and Elon Musk, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's talk about the box office a little bit, Mike, uh, and get maybe some predictions of what No Time to Die could do domestically. Deadline is setting the scope on a $90 million box office opening for the film, which, as Screen Rant points out, would be the biggest international opening for any COVID-era film yet. Uh, right now, Fast 9 has that high watermark at $65 million internationally. Yeah, so that's the three-day mark, I'm guessing. Uh, that uh, I think Black Widow had a four-day kind of thing where it got... I'll tell you what, it, it, box office mojo has made it impossible to track international unless you do the addition yourself. But they don't right. have just a non, you know, a foreign market or a non-American market section anymore. Weird. Anyway, good signs though for No Time to Die because usually the early projections, at least in recent years, I would say, have been low balls. Right? They have been mm-hmm. in the COVID era. They they have been scared to over project. And the final weekend numbers, whether it's Shang-Chi or Black Widow uh, or F9, I thought, too. I can't remember. But they all went over uh, in terms of the projections. So that that's and by, in some cases by tens of million do- uh, millions of dollars with Shang-Chi. So this yeah. is a good sign and just knock on wood that it happens. Well, you mentioned the, the two names I want to talk about here when trying to figure out how we can picture where this movie is going to open domestically because uh, the two highest domestic box openings in the COVID era have both been Disney Marvel properties, Black Widow and Shang-Chi. Those did 80.3 and 71.4 million respectively stateside. Fast 9, which we've also mentioned already, is the biggest non-Marvel opening in Kova. Kova? Wow. It'd be so much cooler if it was called Kova. Yeah. COVID. uh, Fast 9 opened at 70 million domestically. And I actually think there's a lot of similarities in terms of appeal to audiences between the Fast Saga and Bond. I mean, you have iconic franchises that have massive blockbuster budgets attached to them with household name actors leading the way, villains that are equally as famous, and entries that come out only once every few years. Elon Kova Prime, I believe is the name of the base <laughs> that uh, Rami Malek Rami, Rami Malek hollowed out in that Norwegian uh, yes. mountain there. Elon Kova Prime. Uh, I don't know what That's a saying. great bad guy lair name, by the way. Good job by you. 
I was thinking of that while you were talking, so I have no idea what you're saying. You're saying that uh, we have uh, villains that are equally famous in these movies as the stars. So these are star-laden properties. Correct. And All right. I'm, I'm proud of you and your Oscar punditness that you think Rami Malek is as famous as Daniel Craig because that just is a testament to our show and how much we cover the Oscars. I'm otherwise a little confused that you think John Cena is is as popular as Vin Diesel, but no, you would know. No, no, I'm not, not saying that. I'm not saying that. John Cena is much more popular than Vin Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> you had me. I knew it was coming, and you still had me with that. Very good. Let's talk about Fast Franchise a little more in terms of predicting box office response. Fast 8, pre-COVID had roughly a $99 million opening domestically. So let's round that to an even $100 million so we can say that Fast 9, which did $70 million, did about exactly 70% of its prior iteration. And I think that's hmm. close to the number you want to look at for Bond, except that you can swap out the audience uncertainty of no longer having Paul Walker, no longer paying to see Paul Walker in the Fast franchise, with the certainty of fans wanting to say goodbye to Daniel Craig's James Bond in No Time to Die. Uh, Spectre was the last Bond movie to play. It had yeah. a $70.4 million opening domestically. Instead of using that number for the projection math, I'm going to take the number of the highest Craig Bond opening ever, which would have been 2012 Skyfall, which opened okay. at 88.3 domestically. Sprinkler percentage point or two above 70. I put 72%, and I have a domestic opening of roughly 63, 63.5 million, uh, with the caveat being... That that could be a little high because historically every Craig Bond movie has done better than seventy thirty of its box office internationally. It's I don't think there's been a single Craig Bond movie that's done as much as thirty percent of its total uh, domestically. Which, if you take that into consideration, if you think that holds, then if ninety million is what this is going to open at internationally, give or take a couple million, uh, sixty five maybe way too high but I, I feel comfortable in saying this is going to have a strong debut all right so my follow-up question is kind of a silly one but you kind of, you kind of answered it because i was wondering if that 63.5 number was kind of something you were bullish or bearish on where where i was going to say like if that's an over under like if you're forced to pick that number over or under right now bet the over or under on 63.5 what would you take but it seems like you would take under, or uh, um, again, am I just misconstruing you? No, you think? I think I would. I no, I think I would. I would bet the under. Uh, but yeah. I, I don't because know. you like, already kind of propped it up. You already propped it up, but go right. basing it off exactly. Skyfalls exactly. instead of Spectres. Okay, but I mean, you know, this movie's been advertised to people for eighteen months already, too. Yeah, it's been something that people are looking forward to. We know. If you could put out a property that's worth seeing, that people are willing to pay for, they're going to show up and pay for it. Maybe not to the extent they would have pre-COVID or before this pandemic, but people are willing to go to the movie theaters at least somewhat now. So I don't know how much of those two things intertwine to bring in more of a casual Bond audience. You know the hardcore fans are going to be there. I don't know how far that reach goes beyond that. Well, this is a fascinating study by you because I do think that we've been covering this for a while what were studios trying to analyze here with the COVID numbers? And that 70% kind of number makes sense to me. Like, all right, yeah, if we can get 70% of the box office we did on the last movie, it's still worth putting out right now to A, help theaters, but also to, I mean, shit, we need to recoup 
right. we need to recoup our, our costs here. And, and that's still probably uh, at least in the profit zone a little bit. And then you add to the fact that the most, you know, the richest company in the world bought your company and then it makes it much easier uh, because you have that financial backstop, I would say. Right. I, I, I think I'm most curious about that end of it, too. Like, how does Amazon react to what this does at the box office? And what does that mean for Amazon going forward in terms of what they do with this property? I think that this is all really, really fascinating stuff because, and we've talked about this at length in previous Bond episodes, we know the Broccoli family is very tied to theatrical, and we know Amazon wants to focus on streaming, so where do those two things collide, and is Amazon willing to, kind of hoping that this one does underperform, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, it it is really a subplot that, uh, you know, our conspiracy theorists' brains Mm -hmm. in terms of the film industry have been working overdrive on but i would i would say you know in in a rational sense if i had to bet money on it like all of this stuff is negotiated to the hilt like i don't think there's any there's much ambiguity like the bond franchise is tied to universal and it's tied to all these you know it's tied up bottom line and Mm -hmm. i think they're you know the group of investors need their money back and i do think they would sign up for 70 percent of Skyfall at this moment in time and and not have to triple down or quadruple down on the marketing to have to have pushed it again. And I, I do think Shang-Chi, you know, making what it made, you know, testament to, Mar- you know, Disney again there, you know, and a testament to the moviegoers. So getting vaxxed and being able to go to the movies is uh, a great thing. So let's, uh, let's all do that as well. I have no idea what number this movie must possibly have to make to break even. Well, like you said, though, if it does what it's supposed to do internationally and that 90 million comes through, it's probably on its way. Mm. And we, we, we know it's not going to pop up on Amazon Prime, you know, streaming anytime soon. It's going to have a normal window. Right. So if you want to see it, you have to see it in theaters. Well, let's talk about what we might see in theaters. How do we want Daniel Craig to go out? All right, this is where I quibble with you the most. It's more than a quibble, it's a quabble. With Alan, I'm going to come after you, uh, Bondi and Alan, because you think he's going to die, and I don't. I don't see, like, I kind of want him to, just because my brain is sick. Like, I don't see the upshot in not giving him a heroic death, because if Bond is, if, if Craig Bond is allowed to live, then he's dead to me, because... MI6 is not going to let that guy, with all that knowledge that they've invested this much into, just walk away and live happily into retirement. They're going to kill him anyway. They're not going to wait for him to write the tell-all book naming names and getting a big check from the publishing house. They're going to kill him. (laughs) So it's better off he dies in the line of duty. No, there are so many things wrong with that sentence that I am (laughs) flabbergasted. You made me speechless to the point where... Uh, first of all, 24 movies where Bond is happily ever after with a woman for most for the mm-hmm. most part at the end. Like if he's not with Madeline Swan at the end of this movie, then he's with <laughs> Anna de Armas at the end of this movie. Uh, there's no way he's just dead and dying and single. And what? There's no way the bot the I mean this series has to go in perpetuity. But he's Mike. also he's also had enough heartbreak and like in an unrest and all his loved ones have, have turned on him at some point. It's like it'd be a fitting hero's end for him to die for country. Yeah. However, 
MGM and Eon are two huge companies. Amazon is now brought into it. Universal's obviously attached. James Bond will return. Those words have to be written at the end of the credits, right? Or at the end of... They have to be written yet again. I mean, take the title whatever you, way you want. No time to die. I, I guess I, I, I agree with you. Well, it's you not. I don't suspicious. think it's a spoiler. I mean, those that those words are out there. I mean, they, that's that's been reported in numerous sites. That, that is it. But that doesn't mean that. Look, there can be a line of dialogue. The last scene could be a funeral, and there could be a line of dialogue. Well, we need to find our next Bond. We need to find our next 007. Like you know, they, there's ways around that. They could confirm what everyone's always assumed that 007 is a title and James Bond is a as oh. a name moniker more so than a person. All right, so that brings up the interesting part of this conversation because they are rebooting this character. They are recasting this character after this movie, and we're going to talk about who we think might and should play Bond. But we've seen Bonds just change characters that we just all agree with and expect the reboot quill now. We Mm -hmm. just expect it in the James Bond saga, in that franchise. So that is old hat. We know it's coming, and I can't fathom killing Daniel Craig as Bond, and then, like, that would be just breaking new ground. I can't fathom, A, that happening in a Bond movie, and maybe people who've seen it now are listening to us and be like, just you wait, and maybe you all have the greatest <laughs> poker faces in the history of social media, because I don't think if that happened, we would still be unspoiled. Like, even if all the critics out there, even if all the... Somebody would have been like, gah, 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 and just tell us. <laughs> if they couldn't... They did none, none of... I don't believe for a second they knowing film Twitter. They killed him with such elan. Yeah. Uh, you're probably They right. would have held the secret. You're probably right. Yeah. You're probably right. I still think he should die on screen. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, his twin brother is a uh, is a crawdad crawfish loving uh, Kentucky Fried Super Sleuth. Yeah. For well, let's talk about who may be next because there was a story that came out where the uh, Broccoli family. Barbara Broccoli specifically said there won't be any casting talk about the next James Bond until 2022 at the earliest. So let's speculate a little on who we want to fill the tuxedo next and who we think might. And I'll have you know, by the way, I'm not going to reveal them now, but Craig and David had this this discussion as well. Number one, they have a wild card. So go listen to the Is It Worth It podcast. Number two, they went over the betting odds. So you'll yeah we'll have to listen to that uh, again. Uh, or, or, so yeah, if you guys like our coverage of betting odds, it comes from our pal David over there, where he just you know tweets at us betting odds for Oscars, and then we cover them on the show. And of course, he he won't deny himself that pleasure on his own show. So yes, sir. And, and my degeneracy and illness that I have related to the sport of gambling. Um, yeah, maybe right. you shouldn't. Let, you know, <laughs> This is this next bond is something we've toyed with and talked about, and the names you'll see bantered about most around social media are the usual suspects like Idris Elba, Tom Hardy, Killian Murphy, James Corden, Danny DeVito. You know the usual people that we all see. Um, there's been a companion piece that's been taken wildly out of context, whose headline is that Daniel Craig says he doesn't think Bond should be played by a woman. 
Uh, very misconstruing because the context of what he actually says and the quote is, quote, there should simply be better parts to be played by women right. and actors of color. Barbara Broccoli did come out and say she thought James Bond is a ma- male character. She did come out and say that so that I don't necessarily know if uh, and I didn't project any women into that because of, of this scenario, but I, I, I disagree with her uh, and just i guess i think you do too yeah i'm picking a woman all right good so i mean yeah i I don't think i think you can make it work and i think 50 years from now we're not going to necessarily have this staunch attachment to say all right bond has to be a british guy yeah and i i just think it's going to be different going forward i don't yeah i don't i mean personally i don't care right i don't i think a lot of people are kind of like that just make the movie good and we'll show up bond can be make the movie good and we'll show up definitely i agree Um, so let's say anything's on the table for this exercise, men, woman, whatever, alien. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I thought it'd be a little telling if we went back and looked up what each of the bonds were, who had gotten the role were doing immediately before they did put on the tuxedo and play 007. I like this. So Daniel Craig Mm -hmm. was in layer cake. He was in some TV movies, some short films, maybe best known for his role as the second league in Spielberg's Munich before he got the call. So he's kind of spying around in Munich, but he doesn't have the hair necessarily. He's got mm-hmm. the big hair, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's playing unrecognizable roles before that, like Road to Perdition. He's this slimy bad guy, right. gangster, uh, son of a gangster, uh, who does not inspire a lot of admiration in terms of capability, for, for one. Yeah, not a guy you look at and think, oh, that could be Bond. Right. You you would never think. He's a character actor mm-hmm. who is, let's be honest, who is taking a star turn with layer cake, at least in my mind, because we were Guy Ritchie fans back when everybody was at coming off of his, you know, back to back to back movies. And Guy Ritchie was the producer there. Uh, I believe layer cake was this cool ass gangster movie at that time. So that was probably the closest thing he did to kind of a, an audition for Bond, I would say, Layer Cake, which a lot of these Bonds, I'm going to bring up kind of their quote-unquote unofficial auditions mm-hmm. uh, throughout uh, and their age. So Craig, Craig was 38, and Layer Cake was probably the closest comp we had for him going in. How about Brosnan now? Pierce Brosnan, he was in Love Affair, he was in Mrs. Doubtfire, also did TV movies and some miniseries. If he's not best known for his Doubtfire role, then it's probably his role in the 1992 Fever Dream of the Lawnmower Man. I like your best known for uh, comps always because, yeah, I'm sure he had other <laughs> no, no, starring no. roles. This is it. No. <laughs> no, you were a kid. You watched Mrs. Doubtfire, and I agree. He had a supporting role in Mrs. Doubtfire. He was very memorable in that. Uh, very funny, him and Robin Williams. And then the Lawnmower Man, this uh, you know fairly weird, bizarre, horror sci-fi movie that you, that you and many people love. But look it. Brosnan was 42, so he was an older casting. His audition, though, is very clear. Mike, there are those... You mentioned the TV movies and miniseries Mm -hmm. leading up to his casting because they were interested in Pierce Brosnan for a while. He kind of did these knockoff Bond movies detonator the sequel the sequel not so much as because the look was different he had long hair and whatever but his first detonator movie he looks like james bond on the poster just in fatigues instead of uh, a, a tux so he's spying detonator around sounds like the guns. movie that's the action movie in a movie that the main characters are going to see shit blows up yes yeah. i'm guessing <laughs> happened in that movie 
<laughs> Timothy Dalton, prior to Pierce Brosnan, uh, prior to his role in The Living Daylights, he did some higher-profile TV movies and miniseries, such as Florence Nightingale, Jane Eyre, maybe most known for playing Mark Anthony in the TV movie Anthony and Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. So, I believe... We got to go, and I got to go back and listen to our episode, or I should have opened the Google Doc from the Timothy Dalton episode. But I believe he did like a series of commercials to audition and to finally cinch his, you know, casting. Because again, they wanted Timothy Dalton like a decade earlier. Mm-hmm. Brock, the Broccoli family, they wanted him earlier. And I, I don't know if he was on board, or I don't know if they, he was too young. But I know he did the Rocketeer, where he's this dashing something later. But again, that's my bias in my childhood. Timothy Dalton, to me, had a like a Pepsi commercial in my brain, <laughs> where he's basically <laughs> pretending to be Bond. And maybe I'm misremembering, but you've got I, the right one, baby. Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> I think they put the full court press on him after he did the series of commercials, or maybe it was Roger Moore. But Roger Moore, you're going to talk about. He basically played Bond on TV before he played Bond uh, on the silver screen. Yeah, and I'm going to say more arguably had the highest profile of any of these actors before they got the call as 0072 because prior to Live and Let Die, he was the lead in 119 episodes of the 60s TV show The Saint. Right. Uh, and TV is where he was just known generally. Whereas Dalton was like the true thespian right. to play Bond. Roger Moore was the the hit on television. And, and yeah, it was definitely a pivot going from Moore and those styled films to the you know, the hardcore drama that we got with Dalton uh, in, in, you know, License to Kill, Living Daylights, etc. There was George Lazenby before Moore who... <laughs> <laughs> I think the underrated on Her Majesty's Secret Service in 1969, and prior to that did uh-huh. nothing, <laughs> at least according to IMDb. He has a wild story about how he basically stalked out this role. You should go back and listen to our James Bond character study episode covering his uh, role to 007. Yeah, there's a great Hulu documentary chronicling George Lazenby, Lazenby, uh, and how he became Bond. But uh, that's why I, you know, gave that you know hamtastic <laughs> spit and in, in, in the almost into the microphone because he was 30. He was a male model, and he posed in a lot of mirrors and then lied to everyone mm-hmm. at these production offices, and that's how he got the job. There's a whole huge odyssey in terms of the casting beyond that. And then there's a great production story beyond that. And they, yeah, they hired a con man with no acting experience (laughs) and he nails it. He does a great job as we reviewed in on her majesty's secret service, a a very underrated bond movie indeed. But yeah, what could ever go wrong with hiring a con man (laughs) uh, with no acting experience? (laughs) You got me. I do it twice every week. Uh, Then there was Connery, of course, who was another veteran of British small screen and stage. And what he was most known for prior to Bond was, like, muscles, basically. He was a a Scottish bodybuilder trying to make it in the acting world. Absurd. But he was getting his reps in the acting world, though, on the the theater stage. And in the gym, bro. Yeah, this was an inspired casting. This was what we call in in sports this projection, right? You're projecting mm-hmm. Sean Connery from one medium to the next. I mean, this is 
this is kind of like the Daniel Craig uh, casting in a way, I would say. But yeah, Sean Connery was 32 when he took over. I don't think I mentioned Dalton. Dalton was 41. Roger Moore was the oldest at 45. Again, Brosnan 42, Craig 38, just to give you guys kind of a summation on their ages. So what's the profile of the new Bond, at least what has it been historically? The Broccoli family loves themselves a European actor who is a veteran of British television stage and miniseries, not someone overly famous and very well known at all by the time at the time, uh, not someone who has already been a leading actor in numerous vehicles, and certainly not someone already established as a leading man in high profile properties or films. Hmm. I don't think the Idris Elba's, the Tom Hardy's, I don't think any of those fit the profile of what a, a Bond, a new Bond would be. I have no connection or relation to this person. I just kind of clicked around IMDb a little bit and did some research on their background. How about Charlie Murphy, who's an established 33-year-old Irish actress who's already been a major supporting character in the likes of Peaky Blinders, Happy Valley, and Love Hate, which he's already won a couple Irish TV and film awards for, too. All right, so number one, if she's cast, then you need to be hired by Eon tomorrow. I'm going to be furious that I couldn't put money on it. Well, she she's a good actress. I mean, seventy one is a hell of a movie, uh, and uh, Peaky Blinders is a show that the I I mean, it's one of those shows. I, I'm sure everybody's got these where you're like, all right, I watched it first two seasons. I really like it. Yes. Why don't I watch yes. the third season? And yes. Keep going with it. Don't you have like three or four of those? I'm seven. I'm like of. seven episodes into the newsroom, and I just can't get back to it. And I don't know why. Why? It's so good. And Peaky Blinders is so good. Why didn't I go back to it? Anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, she's involved there. And uh, sure, I I think if Barbara Broccoli didn't say what she said, I would I would kind of. uh, Right. You know, Vanessa Kirby, for Christ's sake. I mean, just an obvious in an obvious way there. She could be Bond if she wasn't, you know. She'd be great, but I don't think like like or people want Daniel Kaluuya, Idris Elba. These guys, no, I don't think the Bond that's out there now is guest hosting SNL already. You know what I mean? Like I don't think it's someone that famous. That's the the thing about James Bond, and that's why guys go listen to uh, you know the other podcast there because David and Craig got a you know below the radar pick that they both get behind in that episode. But look, Reggie Jean Page of Bridgerton. Got a ton of buzz. He's 31. It would be a Connery kind of projection there because he's done the Bridgerton. You, you know, would the, love that, wouldn't you? You <laughs> love Bridgerton. Bridgerton. <laughs> so, yeah, he's definitely got you know one uh, part of the job down. The question is, can he handle all the... Uh, you know, can he handle all the action moviness of the James Bond franchise? And he just got cast by the Russo brothers and Noah Hawley of, you know, uh, TV Fargo's uh, and etc. He's done some movies in his own right. Noah Hawley of FX there. They're doing a Netflix heist film together. So Reggie Jean Page is going to be involved with that. So and he hosted SNL audition. already too. Uh, Tom Hardy. 44. He was the rumored casting before No Time to Die. I don't know how that got out, but there was literally a day there where we we said Tom Hardy's the next Bond. Yeah. I am not convinced here. Like, would would you be let down? Because Tom Hardy does so much other cool stuff. Like, he's arguing with his goo self. Uh, he's becoming a giant Italian piece of goo. Andy's he's, in Venom, don't forget. 
I'm sorry, that was a bad joke. He just has too much Elan for my taste. <laughs> uh, would I be let down if they casted Tom Hardy as Bond? No, of course not. I, I love right. Tom Hardy. But I, I just, again, I, look, if the next James Bond, I think it's a low profile person for financial reasons. I mean, Daniel Craig oh. is making a Brinks truck worth of money to come back and do this movie. Uh, that's not going to break even because of how many times they've had to move it, most likely anyway, or at least it'll take a long time on secondary run to, for it to break even. And I, I think you need a bond that you can create. Like, I think you need to pay someone less to because you know this is the vehicle that's going to make them a huge star that's going to be worth $50 million per entry wow. into the series, you know? I like that. I like that, find an unknown, because you're not going to get a bigger star than Daniel Craig, and that's kind of what, that was their thinking coming off of Sean Connery, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, all right, so if we just get another big star like Tom Hardy, or I got a couple other names here, Idris Elba and Daniel Kaluuya, they're huge stars. They got a lot of... Uh, you know, uh, exposure out there. Like to me, I don't want Daniel Kaluuya to do it because uh, he can do it. Of course, he of can course he do could, it. Yeah, any of these uh, people he, could. He's like the best actor going right now since we started our podcast. We've been holding up the foam fingers mm-hmm. in the air from Get Out uh, through even Widows. He was the bright spot in Widows yep. for us. To uh, of course his Oscar-winning role that we were the least surprised at since yeah. we saw the trailer, and he of course swept the season. So I kind of want to see him in a selfish way, just keep doing Oscar winning Oscar contending roles. Same. And I don't need him to do bond, but I'm sure he can. All right. Idris Elba would be the oldest bond ever. He's 49. uh, And he's been, he's been out there everywhere. Right. Yep. So the, the problem with him is cats. I would say (laughs) the cats (laughs) casting with Idris Elba. I wonder if that kind of, I think the problem with this he, industry is cats, Mike. <laughs> right. Did he go for Bond, did not get it, and then he got rattled and chose to be Mephistopheles' cat or whatever he was playing in that movie? So do you think the common movie fan thinks sees Aegis Elba and thinks cats before they think Luther or his role in The Office or The Wire? I still think he's The Wire and Luther. I agree. I'm just saying choices matter. So these yeah. pre- producers think of that i mean these producers think like al pacino and you know once upon a time in hollywood mm. and i just read that novel where he, there's like chapters dedicated to that guy just ranting and raving about <laughs> leonardo dicaprio's characters casting you know rick right. dalton's casting and why and everything and i think these producers think about things that way so idris elba he's in everything and yeah if he just came off the hobbs and shaw role if he just came off of some of the things he was doing with Luther there and re basically re, you know, starting Luther, you know, in the late 2020s there, the last decade, maybe he has that case where he's just ready to take over Bond, but I don't know if it's necessarily makes sense. Same I could say for Dev Patel. Like does mm. Dev Patel inspire Bond coming off of the Green Knight where he's so vulnerable and he's just kind of throwing, you know, being cast around in the waves of that story in the way the ocean of that story the green knight i don't see james bond in that dev patel role but he's a great actor he's an oscar nominated level actor and can he handle it uh, damn right he probably could yeah i don't know i don't i don't see it though now typically you know something like sam hewan of outlander him intrigue that intrigues me he's scottish he's got the charisma of doing the travel show that my mom watches. She can't stop talking about it. 
Uh, all, this is the also mom pick. Not that she deserves this pick. She doesn't even watch Bond movies. So, no, I'm sorry, also mom. <laughs> you don't get your wish here. Sam Hewitt makes no sense. And the reason I know that is because I tried to watch his quote unquote spy film audition on Netflix and not very good. So, that's the thing. Like, Sam Hewitt is going for it. He's very outspoken about it. He wants the role mm. of James Bond. I guess he's the right age. I, I, you know, I guess he's. this would make some sense. And he's not necessarily the household name in the movie industry at this point, even though he d- he did a good job in Bloodshot. He's in Bloodshot. He's taken smaller roles where you know he makes some sense. I don't know. I don't see it. So I think I'm with you. I think they're going to go a little younger. I think they're going to go a little off the beaten track. And I know da- David and Craig went that way as well. So I'd be surprised if they did pick a Tom Hardy at this point. Or if they I, would a big name. I would too. I would too. I That's think it's just, point. I mean, I, like I think that. if you do someone now, I mean, the counter argument to that is that there's just so many high profile famous people anymore. Like, obviously, when Craig was picked and when Brosnan was picked, movies were movies. Now movies are yeah. everywhere and everything. And there's so True. many TV shows and, and so TV. many stars being made. Right. So yeah, I, I, mean, I even overlooked Henry Cavill's name. He, like, he's all over this casting as well. Right. Like Henry so, Cavill could easily do Bond. So maybe, Dallas. right. I, I mean, there's just so many options to pick from. Maybe they do go bankable or higher profile just because there's just a litany of of available people and people who would probably be willing to do it who are already established. I think just financially it would make sense for them to go lower profile. And look, you gotta if you 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 kinda hit the nail on the head earlier too in passing. Like if you pick someone high pre if you pick a Tom Hardy, he's gonna be compared to Daniel Craig right away and what Craig did right. with Bond. Like with somebody younger, they kinda get a chance to establish themselves and do their own take on Bond. Is that riskier though for them? That because that's another thing. Like sure. now it's now it's billion do- billions of dollars involved. And maybe there's negotiations regarding the, the franchise with uh, Amazon down the line or the next wave of collaborators on it. And maybe you do have kind of some stability with a name. So I guess that's the devil's advocate yeah. to it all. I don't know. I'm going to uh, advocate they just pick a female. And if you're going to pick a female, do Charlie Murphy. And I get to brag about it forever. You would get to brag. You would get bragging rights forever, and that this is on your resume. The only thing on your resume. <laughs> no, I got the uh, Rosamund Pike pick. Job. The Rosamund Pike pick from the uh, Golden Globes too. Yes, you picked the Golden Globes Best Actress Comedy or Musical. You picked the bombshell uh, year yeah. in advance that makes yeah. the hairstyling. I got a little. Yes. I got a little run going here. These dark horse picks, you never let me forget them. I could yeah. immediately cite yeah. them off the top of yeah. my brain. Yeah, now let's, you don't let's get Halloween a Best Picture nominee, huh? Uh, <laughs> I hope so, but we'll see. That's That'll be our next uh, swath of episodes uh, a couple weeks from now. When you come back, by the way, after yes. No Time to Die. So, let's let's see uh, what happens. Can't wait to see it. Can't wait to review it. Can't wait to talk about it more. But obviously, as always, what matters most to us is you, dear listener, and your thoughts. Uh, what do you have for expectations of No Time to Die? Uh, what are you hearing about it personally? And what do you think about the next Bond and who it might be? And do you have any under-the-radar picks that you want to pitch towards us? You can do that as well as leaving us any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns about anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. 
Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike and Oscar at gmail.com dot com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you hear podcasts. If you're listening to us right now on the Apple podcast app, if you would be so kind as to go in there and leave us a five star review, uh, that would truly make our day. We truly appreciate everyone who has taken the time to do so thus far. Michael. Let's get some words of wisdom to end on here. Maybe get a martini shaken, not stirred, and tell the good people what's coming next from us. Well, we're reviewing Tatan next, mm-hmm. first of all. And <laughs> if we survive that, <laughs> the words of wisdom and what's coming after that, they are intertwined. We're going to review No Time to Die. At least the plan is with David Long. Uh, and we're going to have uh, a blast mm. bringing back all of our James Bond character study spoiler section segments. I cannot wait to do that with you, with David. We're basically going to talk about the Oscar chances in the first 20 minutes, do like an Oscar lens, non-spoiler review, and then the last 40, 50 minutes, we are bringing back all the favorites. That was a joy throughout this series. I can't wait. Dad joke-filled, punny segment headings for the spoiler section for No Time to Die. So that's coming. Then I think uh, we're doing a pair of Oscar race checkpoints, one of which I'll be recording with uh, a guest while you're away on vacation. And Andrew Morgan, who we're going to see the film with, uh, is going to hop on. We're going to talk about a couple of Netflix movies that we're seeing early. And then we're going to talk about the James Bond movie Fallout in terms of box office and what No Time to Die may do for its second weekend there in terms of projections. So that'll be cool. We'll kind of take of the temperature on whether or not it's a financial success, which is, again, something you and I have been covering now for over a year uh so i'm sure there'll be oscar race checkpoints where you and i will have to kind of you know put the gavel down on whether or not uh it is a success at the end of Mm. it all so you'll be in for the final uh fallout on james bond when we when we do an oscar race checkpoint in the future but a lot of oscar race checkpoints a lot of film studies that's that's kind of our bag right that's what we do during oscar seasons and in the lead up to that unless there's a horror movie event which of course we will cover when you come back from vacation, and that is that is Halloween Kills, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, I, I, which I forgot to write down here. But that this is so loaded this October, <laughs> this November. I got film festival reviews. I got another half dozen screenings that I'm going to be reviewing on the future Oscar race checkpoints. Uh, big movies like Dune and Parallel Mothers and Come On, Come On and the Tragedy of Macbeth and The Power of the Dog. Wow, a lot, a lot of stuff to weigh in on for in terms of first reactions, and then we're going to have full episodes dedicated to those movies later on. So absolutely, absolutely loaded. And I think usually I do a better job, but this is uh, in, in terms of what's coming next. But there's just so much coming next that I'm all over the place. I have to. Yeah, this. <laughs> There's a lot coming next, so you should keep listening if you uh, if you appreciate what we do here, dear listener guys. When reality sucks, you can. Watch all of this stuff with us, because there is going to be a lot to watch. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar, trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya.